Let's lift our hands and love God tonight all across the house. Would you do that? Lift your hands and love the Lord. Open your mouth, throw your head back, and give him the kind of praise he deserves tonight. Oh, that's better. That's better. All over the house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 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 His names are many. The Messiah, Son of Man, Son of David, King of Israel, Savior, Servant, the Prophet, Son of God, and the Christ. He was hailed and acclaimed as the being who held the highest spiritual status attainable in human form, the perfect one, the avatar, God as man. To some people, he was nothing more than an extraordinarily wise and compassionate teacher. To still others, he was a political revolutionary who had divinity projected upon him by his followers. And to some, he was just a myth, a legend. He never really existed at all. But I came to tell you tonight that no figure in history has provoked so much controversy and debate nor inspired so much faith as Jesus. Today, the religion that's based on his name alone is the largest religion in the world. One billion, nine hundred million people on every continent in virtually every country of the world claims some form of Christianity. The Mexican peasant in his hovel claims to be a Christian. The cardinal in Rome in his rich robes and elegant rings claims to be a Christian. The African studying English in a missionary school claims to be a Christian. The New York businessman signing papers 40 floors above Wall Street claims to be a Christian. Christianity tonight has claimed many, many converts and spread across our world. But I came to tell you tonight that we did not come to celebrate the various forms of Christianity. We're not here to divide ourselves and say who's who and what's what. I'm telling you, for the last two days, we have sang and talked and praised the name of Jesus. And there is no better way to start this camp meeting and to end new song than to kick the door of your heart wide open and throw your head back and open your mouth and say, Jesus, you mean everything to me. Every preacher, every saint, every person, would you praise him tonight? Every fiber of your being, would you praise him? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I'd like for you to take your Bibles tonight, if you would. I would ask your indulgence tonight to do something that I've never seen done. Don't know if it's ever been done. Cut me a little slack here tonight. Open your Bible to the book of Psalms. My text tonight will not be the actual verses of Psalm 7 and Psalm 8, although they are the foundation of my subject tonight. My text will actually be the subscriptions above Psalm 7, Psalm 8, 
and the superscription to Psalm 8. Most of my life, I confess to you that I passed over these parts of the Scripture. I did not understand them. Therefore, I cruised right past them when I was reading my Bible. So I hope your Bible has the subscriptions above them. Looking at Psalm 7, it reads, Shigion of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. The subscription to Psalm 8 reads, To the chief musician upon Gittath, a psalm of David. And the subscription or superscription to verse to Psalm 8 reads, To the chief musician upon Muth Laban, a psalm of David. These subscriptions are my text tonight to come to you and preach to you out of the subject, the song of the wine press. The song of the wine press. I'm asking you to pray that God would bless tonight and every service that follows this week throughout this camp meeting that the glory of God would baptize this building afresh and anew and that this church, this local assembly would be ushered into a new dimension that they have never known and the glory of the Lord would baptize each and every service and speaker this week. Pray with me right now. Holy Ghost power, we come to you and we ask for an anointing tonight. God, you see the effort, the labor, the sacrifice, the tears, and the prayer that has been given to bring this to where it is today. What a blessing, God, it is to the kingdom of God. Would you bless, not just tonight? Would you anoint, not just tonight? But God, would you anoint every service, every speaker? God, until the concluding moment on Tuesday night, let the Shekinah glory of God fill this place. Let there be an anointing. God, let there be direction for many, many hungry people tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. What a wonderful time we have had at this new song conference. I am happy to tell you that I came at the very beginning and I stayed for the whole tamale. Hallelujah. I went to the classes. I rubbed shoulders with uh, the folks that attended. And I want to tell you that it is outstanding. Everything was well done. Everything was well prepared. I just don't even see a way it could have been done better. I would like to say thank you tonight to Brother Tim Mullinax, Brother Nathan Holmes, and Sister Bourne for their hard work and all of the effort that they put into making this a possibility. That's right. Give them a hand. They deserve it. In fact, they deserve a standing ovation tonight for what they have done and worked. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every clinician, every class, every effort. Of course, none of this could be possible tonight without the burden, sacrifice, and desire of Pastor Joel Holmes and his good wife. And he is very good at at acting as though he didn't have anything to do with it. But I assure you, none of this would be here tonight if he did not have a heart to serve the Lord and have good people that helped him. Thank you, First Pentecostal Church of Little Rock. I enjoyed the classes. I enjoyed going to them. 
I went to my first class. It was Sister Cooley, and there is only one Sister Cooley in the whole world. She is an incredible, incredible person. I enjoyed the class. Went to Brother Aker's class and, and enjoyed that. He was so engaging and friendly and folksy and just made us all feel at home. I went to Brother John De La Fuente's class. Those of you that don't know John De La Fuente, he is the consummate professional. Everything he does, he's the kind of person you have a love-hate relationship with in your life. You love him because he does things so well. You hate him because you wish you could do them like he does. But I enjoyed his class so very much. If you would have told me I was going to do the things that he asked us to do before I went into class, I would not have believed you. And if I would have known what we were going to do, I wouldn't have went. But I went. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother De La Fuente. Excellent job. And I want to say a personal thank you for the classes taught by Sister Demetra Carney, very personal friend. She, her husband, and children, the entire Carney family have meant much to me through the years. They helped me through a very bad, bad time in my life, and I'm very grateful. She, of course, is my favorite instructor in this whole shebang, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. I want to talk to you tonight about the book of Psalms, and it is late, but not too late. So if you'll just give me a few moments, I'll, I'll hurry tonight to say the few remarks that I want to make. The book of Psalms is a very beautiful part of our Bible, and I think sometimes I have been guilty of not giving it its full value of appreciation that it deserved. The 150 Psalms that we read and celebrate and preach out of of course, are originally the Hebrew songbook. They were correlated by the writers of the Septuagint about 200 years before Jesus. They gathered together these songs that cover somewhere uh, around a period of about a thousand years, and they got them together and put them together into five separate books. Most Bibles today, as you go through the book of Psalms, it will give you the designates of book one, book two, book three, book four, and book five. The original intent in getting these songs together that we now call the book of Psalms was to provide Israel with a song book that answered back to God in gratefulness the Pentateuch of praise that they felt he deserved. He had given them a Pentateuch of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the writers, the collators of the Septuagint, when they got these songs together, they looked at them very diligently. They looked at them very carefully. They analyzed the song and what the song was for, who it was to, and its purpose. And then they grouped them together in these five categories. The psalms that we so love today are not put there arbitrarily. They are not just thrown together. But there were months of intensive study. There were months and months of looking at them and ideologies compared and theories uh, ex uh, exposed in men's hearts and said, what do you think this one means and what do you think that one means? And finally they came together with the 150 psalms that we now have in our Bible. They are indeed beautiful, beautiful psalms unto the Lord. Psalm 1 and 2 were originally known as the orphan psalms because until the New Testament was being inspired to be written, we did not know who wrote either of them. Now we know the Holy Ghost ascribed Psalm 2 to David, but originally we did not know that. Psalm 1 is about the law. 
And Psalm number 2 is about the prophets. And thus, they are the introduction to the songbook known as the Hebrew songbook, the Psalms, the law and the prophets upon which all things were built. And these songs that they have, Psalm 1 through 41 is book number 1. And it is associated with the book of Genesis. Beginning at Psalm 42 and 1, the verse that says, As a heart panneth after the water brooks, so panneth my soul after thee, O God. Here's the correlation to the book of Exodus. And then there's the other correlations in Psalm 73 and Psalm 90. And finally, in Psalm 107, to which I will conclude with tonight. But these psalms that we read so casually, I want you to know they were very instructive in the lives of the people of God in the Old Testament. The last five psalms, Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 are known as the great doxologies of the psalms because they were written for the celebration of the erection of the temple after the people had gone down into exile and come back and rebuilt their temple. They weren't going to sing a song about sorrow. They weren't going to sing a song about complaint. There had been enough of that in the wilderness. And they made up their mind, when we dedicate this new temple and we walk into the presence of God, there will be nothing but sheer praise and adulation and exaltation of the name of God. So when you read those last five psalms, it's all about praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Hence, they are the great doxologies of the Scripture. These two psalms that I'm going to use as my subject matter tonight are beautiful in their own right. And they are somewhat diverse, somewhat different, especially when you put them in juxtaposition one to another and lay them up next to each other. Psalm number seven, as we tabulate it, is a song written by David. It's a song of darkness, a song of sorrow, a song of pain. And it's about when Cush the man that we can't readily identify, that could possibly just be a synonym for Saul. But whoever he was, Cush was bad mouthing David. He was telling lies on David. He was making David's life miserable. He was telling things that other people were believing, even though they were not true. And so David was being mauled. David was being mistreated. David was being misused. And so he decided that he would write a song. The subscription above it says a shigion. Let me tell you that there were various subscriptions above various psalms. We wouldn't like it in our church to do it the way the Hebrews did it. They had a, a little word, and you can find it around Psalm 54 or so. It said, Mahalath. Mahalath meant that when you sing that song, you're 
going to dance. It didn't matter what kind of day you had. When the song leader said, we're going to sing Mahalath, everybody just got ready because nobody sat back and said, I'm too tired or I don't feel like it tonight. It was a Mahalath song. And so when they sang that song, everybody just got up and started shouting because that was the way the song was written. It's in the song. You don't have the liberty to sing it the way you want to. You have to sing it that way. Then they had other songs that were singing and shouting. So you not only danced and sang, but you had to shout at the top of your lungs. We wouldn't like that on some of our midweek services when life hasn't been good to us and we want to just slide in late and sit back easily and casually enjoy the service when the song leader would say, oh, we're going to sing certain, certain song and that means you got to get on your feet and you got to shout and you've got to dance and you got to praise the Lord because it's a part of the song. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all the different subscriptions. There were many. There was Mashil Psalms. These were teaching Psalms. Psalms that, that uh, you learned by singing. I got so, uh, I just enjoyed Sister Cooley last night so very much and, and her energy and her demonstrativeness. It was just a wonderful blessing to be here last night. And, and uh, she was saying something about if you could put the whole Bible to song, then she could memorize the whole Bible. And I thought to myself, that would be a long song. But we do this. When you're just a little child, you learn a little song that says A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now learn my ABC. Tell me what you think of me. We didn't learn that song because of the way we could sing. We didn't learn it because we wanted to hear our harmony or our tempo or our, 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 uh, uh, the tenor part in the song. You know why we learned that song? So we could learn our ABCs. David said when he sinned with Bathsheba, he said, Lord, if you will forgive me, I will teach transgressors thy ways. And one of the things he did is he wrote one of the psalms. It's called a Mashil psalm. And the whole point of the song is to teach you that the way of the transgressor is hard. And the reason for singing the song is so that you'll learn not to go down that road, that you leave certain things alone, and that's not available to you. So there are... There are Mashil psalms that are teaching psalms. There are Neganoth psalms. And we don't like Neganoth psalms because Neganoth psalms means smiting. God smites you to bring out music or melody out of your life. Like the smiting of a string of an instrument brings forth music. So the smiting of God in your life brings forth sound and brings forth melody and harmony and when you get a little out of tune God smites you a little bit and tunes you up or at least he does me these two psalms are are so beautiful in that 
They are a Shigion psalm and a Getith psalm. Getith psalms are wine press psalms. They are psalms at the harvest time when the men would lift the borders of their garments and step into the wine press. And there they would begin to do the wine press dancing. And of course, to pass the time and to celebrate the abundant harvest, they would sing certain songs. Most of the Getith songs are happy songs. They are songs singing about the goodness of God and the glory of the Lord and His power and His righteousness and His might. And so you can envision this as they trampled out the grapes and mashed the impurities out and as they made sure that they got them thoroughly and thoroughly mashed and completely broken down in every facet, then they would begin to sing. Psalm 8 is one such song of the wine press. The other song that they sang at the wine press time, and it's always a Gitta song. It's always associated is the song in the Bible known as the Shigianoth song. And Psalm 7 is such a song. It's a song of sadness. It's a song of being broken. It's a song that says, I am in the wine press of God. And I don't know what he's doing with my life. But I think I'll just praise him anyway. That's what a Shigion is. Probably David was running from Saul because Cush had told foul lies and demeaned his character. And as he possibly exited the city, and he looked over, and that was the time of the harvest of the wine press, and they were stamping out the, the presses, and men were there, and some of them singing joyfully, and maybe others not singing too joyfully at all. No doubt David looked at that, and he said to himself, that's what God is doing to me right there. I don't know why Cush is saying what he's saying. I don't know why an evil spirit from Saul troubles him when I get in his presence. I don't deserve what's happening to my life. I am a faithful servant to Saul. I don't know why God is crushing me. I don't know why God has chosen to break my life at this time. But I only know that that's what's going on. And I'm making up my mind that if God chooses to put me in the wine press, the song that will come out of my life will be a song that praises Him. It will be a song of brokenness and not a song of bitterness. Now, I appreciate everything we heard. I appreciate all these new courses. I got so many new courses out of this new song deal. Somebody asked me if I wanted to buy one more packet. I just looked at him. I said, I have enough new songs. You ever seen anybody preach with two microphones in your life? Ooh, hello. Just seeing if you're paying attention. 
I'm so thankful for what has gone on here. And I mean, I mean, when you look at what New Song is and does every little detail, down to the signs, to the book, to the, the, the ladies taking your registration, down to the meals and the lunch, and, and I, I, I just couldn't handle it. It was too perfect. I told Brother Nathan, I didn't do this, but my spirit wanted to do this. They had them little white boxes of lunches. Remember them? It was so good. I got that little box, I opened it up, had that little barbecue sandwich in it, and them little potato chips, and that brownie, oh man, I was eating that stuff. And my little teenage mind said, wonder what would happen if I just put all my trash back in this box and fixed it back up and put it back on top of the pile. Everybody come along. They're going to have their lunch, and they get it, and I just follow them around and watch it. And then as they open that box, they would look at it like, what is this? I could mess up this perfection right now, hallelujah, but I didn't do it. I wanted to. But I appreciate this new song convention, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Just the learning, the, 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 the variety of classes, the expertise, the quality of the, of the teachers, everything about it was so very wonderful. And I'm thankful for every new song. I'm, I'm thankful for the times in your life when you need something from God. And you don't even, you can't even articulate it or express it. And so you need a song to say it. Music has been stated as the language of the gods by the philosophers. And, and, the, and the musicians of the past have said, you know what? We can't really say it in words. Therefore, we'll put it to rote music and harmony and tempo. And we'll put it in a, in a frame somehow and we'll make this song come out whether it's a rodo or a, song, a, a, a minuet or, or a symphony or whatever it is but I, I'm here to tell you tonight that these two psalms right here David looked over and he said you know what I am in the wine press of God and I came tonight with just a simple little thought in my heart to tell you that God will speak to it somewhere in your life that you will be put into the wine press of God he will get the impurity out of your life you may not even see it you may not even be aware that it's there but God said there's some stuff in you that I don't like and I'm going to get it out and all of a sudden you find yourself being mauled being smashed being broken and things aren't like they used to be and you wonder what's going wrong in your life and God is looking and God is listening and he's wondering what are they going to sing what will come out of this? Will it be a song of bitterness? Or will it be a song of brokenness? What will come out of this wine press? God put David in the wine press and broke him. And David endured terrible hardships. And then Psalm 8. This is the part that's kind of, put it right next to it. Psalm 8. It's like this magnificent song about how great God is and how he just made everything. The moon and the stars and used his little fingers. Didn't even need his arm or his hand. Just his fingers to create million universes and galaxies and just boom, threw stardust in the sky and big stars are out there. And they was like, God, that's just your little finger work. And somebody somewhere sang that song and they were trampling out the wine press and they were singing about this great victory. Now the reason that this one is particularly interesting to me is that little part at the bottom about Mubbin. That means the death of a champion. It is, goes all the way back to the Targum when I'm fixing to tell you that they believe that this is the song that David wrote when he came off the battlefield and Goliath was laying dead on the battlefield. 
Other men looked at Goliath and said, hey, he's too big, fight. David looked at Goliath and said, of your life. Do you look at them and say, I might as well fold up. I might as well close the choir down. I might as well not even be a musician. Or do you look at them and say, wait just a minute. God, I don't know what you're doing in my life, but I promise you, when I get out of this wine press, it will be a song that I can sing to the glory of God. He will put you in the wine press. The question is not whether or not he'll put you in the wine press. The only question is what song will you sing when he puts you in the wine press? When your life is being broken, smashed, and it's like, I don't believe this is happening to me. One of the most beautiful Shiganoth songs in the Bible was written by a man by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet. He's a little different than all the other prophets. Number one. He is different because his book is a theodicy. It's a defense of the goodness of God. He's just telling everybody how good God is. Number two, it's a little unique in that he doesn't talk to men. He only talks to God. He's the only prophet in the Bible. His, his book is the only book like that. He doesn't talk to, he just talks to God. And he's got a little issue. He's a little aggravated at God. And I know that if you were aggravated at God, you wouldn't tell me. But some of you get aggravated at God. And I've gotten aggravated at God. He didn't deserve it, but, but I did. And Habakkuk was kind of aggravated at God. He really asked two questions in his book. Question number one, he said, God, what are you doing? He looked around. His nation was going downhill quick. It was 606 B.C. According to most Bible uh, uh, dictionaries, it was 606 B.C. 1951 B.C. is when Abraham was called by God. 1251 B.C. was when they crossed into the promised land. And so he's looking back down the road of this nation that is all messed up. 600 years of failure. 600 years of broken dreams. 600 years of roller coaster rides, of apostasy. God finally got sick in the northern kingdom, kicked him out. 721 B.C. The Assyrians carried him off. 586 B.C. And in just 20 more years, the southern kingdom is going to be carried off. And, and here's Habakkuk. And he's looking at all of this. And he says to God, what are you doing? The nation is in the wine press. It looks like God is breaking us and God is smashing us and God is going to destroy us as a nation. And he says, God, going on. And God looks back at him and says, I'll tell you what's going on. I'm going to judge this nation and I'm going to send the Babylonians to do my bidding. And then Habakkuk really had a fit. He said, wait a minute, God. Why would you use the Babylonians? They're worse than we are. Most of us don't mind getting a whipping. We just hate it. The person doing the whipping is a whole lot worse than us. And that's what they had to endure. So God answered his second question. And when he answered that second question, Habakkuk broke out into the only the second shiganoth in the Bible. The Bible says in chapter number three, prayer of Habakkuk Hushkinoth. And he said this, he said, Revive thy work, O Lord. 
in the midst of the years. He looked back down the broken rubble of his country, the up and down rides to apostasy. He looked at the carrying away of the northern tribe. He looked at his nation teetering on the brink of destruction. And he said, hey, God, I'm not going to believe that it's over yet. And he began to sing a song. And the song that he sang said it may not look good right now. There may not be olive trees that are budding. There may not be fruit on the vine. But I think I'll just go ahead and praise the Lord. Yet will I praise the Lord. I came to tell somebody tonight, why don't you make up your mind, no matter how dry it is, no matter how bad it is, I think I'll just praise the Lord. Come on, praise him right now. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. said, I think I'll just praise the Lord. Fruits aren't coming. The stalls are empty. In fact, I heard you preach about this. I believe at this camp meeting about that song and people that learned how to praise the Lord in the midst of adversity. I'm here to tell you, a Shikion song is a song that is born deep in your spirit. It means a loud cry. It's a primal cry that you get so fed up with life that you make up your mind. I will. It's not a gentle little song. It's not a little statement that you make. Oh, well, I think I'll go to church and praise the Lord. It is a song of desperation. It is a song of critical moment in your life. When you say, look, devil, I've had about all I can take. I will praise the Lord. I will go to church. I will live for God. I will not surrender. I will. You got to get it down inside your gut somewhere. I will praise the Lord. It's a shiggy on. I'm almost done. Just give me a few more moments and I'll be finished. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something that makes a devil mad. When he brings the greatest trial that you have ever faced. And things are so bad that you are mixed up. Just look at the devil and say, if that's as hard as you can hit, I got heaven made in shape. What you, this is not in my thoughts tonight, but let me just insert it. What you don't need to do is say, I just don't know if I can make it. I don't know, just one more thing go wrong, I think I'll just throw in the towel. I don't know if I ought to go to church. No, 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 you got it all backwards. You just look at the devil and smile and say, big boy, if that's as hard as you can hit, I got heaven made in the shade. This is a piece of cake living for God. Oh, yeah. Make up your mind. I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That kind of praise is what David broke out into in Psalm 70 when people were talking bad about him and lying on him and his whole future looked like it would never come to pass. And he said, my Lord, look at this. I'm anointed. I've killed the giant. I'm loyal to Saul. What is going on? Everything I'm touching is crumbling under my fingertip. I am in the wine press of God. What is going on? 
And in his desperation, he cried to Sigeon and he said, God, whatever's happening in this wine press, don't let me lose my sense of direction. And the writers of the Septuagint sifted through 150 songs and they said, number seven needs to go right here and it needs to be a Shiganoth because it relates to the Gitta and the Gitta is the wine press song and there needs to be another one right here that is a wine press song that is nothing but absolute glory because there are two times in your life when you really feel like singing. One is when you're beat half to death and the other one is when you get the greatest blessings of your life. <laughs> David trots out on the field and that big old boy was out there Everybody else said he's too big to fight. David said he's too big to miss. <laughs> he takes his little sling and he goes out, does the job, comes home, and writes Psalm 8. And at the end of it, he said, Poof, by the way, death of a champion. <laughs> death of a champion. I don't really know this, but I'm submitting for your consideration tonight that the writers of the Septuagint had enough understanding that until you have a Psalm 7, you cannot have a Psalm 8. All of us want the Psalm 8. All of us want the slaying of the giant. All of us want the great victory in our life. But we forget that there's a price to pay to get to Psalm 8. You got to get through Psalm 7 before you can get to Psalm number 8. You got to scream from your innermost being, I will praise the Lord to kill the giants of your life. And I conclude with this, Brother Mullinax, would you come? I conclude with this. The fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. People that don't enjoy the book of Deuteronomy generally don't enjoy it because they don't understand its fundamentals. It's three great speeches of the greatest lawgiver the world has ever known man by the name of Moses. It's his farewell speech, his swan song, and his State of the Union message. And when you truly understand that book, it becomes reading material that is incredibly interesting. The book of Deuteronomy is about the law and about the land, how to possess the land. And so the brilliant collators of the songs, when they decided to break together the songs that had to do with the fifth book of the Bible, beginning at Psalm 107, they said it's got to be about the law and it's got to be about the land. And so they chose Psalm 107 and Psalms 107 through Psalm 119 are the Psalms that have to do with the rebuilding of the temple. The rebuilding of the temple after the exile was a very emotional time in the lives of the people that were involved in it. I believe that Daniel was the one that brought the decree to Cyrus. It's my personal opinion. If you study how long David, uh, uh, excuse me, how long Daniel was in power, he existed till the second or third year of Cyrus. In my mind's eye, there was a day that Daniel said, Cyrus, are you aware that the Bible, the scriptures talk about you? and spoke of you 220 years before you were even born and call you by name. I'm sure Cyrus lifted an eyebrow and said, what? 
Daniel took him to the book of Isaiah and showed him where he, it was prophesied 220 years or so before Cyrus was even born that he would be the one to give the people the right to come back. And no doubt Cyrus, under the inspiration of Daniel's urging, signed with the flourish that proclamation that all the people of God could now go home. You would think that every Jew would want to take advantage of that. You would think that all those Jews that had spent the last 70 years down in exile, one year for every year they did not keep the year of Jubilee. Track their history. The reason they spent 70 years down in Babylon was because 350 years they never kept a single year of Jubilee. God said every 50th year you must let the land lay fallow and not harvest and not cultivate. They never celebrated at one time. And so after 350 years, God said, fine and dandy, you won't do it, I'll do it. And he said, come get them, Babylon. And they swept them away. And the first little group of people that they took included a man by the name of Daniel and three boys that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were such good men. He said, go get me some more of them. And they walked in and got their second group. And 10,000 young men were exported to Babylon. And in that group was a young man by the name of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel became the tandem stereo prophet down in Babylon while Jeremiah remained over in Judah. And they're called the stereo prophets because when you read their writings and they're separated by 500 miles, it's amazing how close they track one another. But God said, I got one man down there telling them folks and I got another man over here telling them folks and I'm speaking to both of them at the same time. Old Babylonian king said, My, them 10,000 were so good, just go get the rest of them. And he sent his armies. And they walked in there in 586 BC and destroyed the temple, leveled the city, debris everywhere. And the city and the land laid fallow for 70 years in honor to God's edict about the years that they never kept. All of a sudden, Daniel gets to looking, sets his heart to search after God. 21 days he prays. He asked God about those 70s. God said, I'll explain those 70s and then I'll unroll another panorama of 70s to you. That's all about the future of the world. And so Daniel goes to Cyrus and Cyrus gives the edict. And it's at that point that people decide to go home. Do you understand that there was a whole lot of Jewish people down in Babylon? Do you understand that there were tens of thousands that when the news began to circulate, hey, the king signed an edict. We get to go home they yawned in the face of God they said what leave this business I've got established leave this comfortable home that we have spent 70 years building no thank you but thank God that when God's hour clock finally struck the end of the 70 year period that there was some that said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And my Bible tells me that throughout the land of Babylon, as the word circulated, that there were 42,360 people that said, I'm going home. And their neighbor said, you don't know what you're getting into. You don't understand it's four months across a hot burning desert to get there. They said, I don't care. That's the promised land. And you can read in Ezra and Nehemiah that various towns and people that stood up and said, I'm going. So 42,360 people said, 
Pack your bags, Mama. Get the kids because we're going home. There were another 7,000 slaves that they carried along with them. And there were about 200 trained singers out of that group of 7,000 that came back with them. Only 74 Levites made up their mind that they were going home. What a shame that the one tribe that was called to be the priesthood, the one tribe that was to do the service of the tabernacle and the temple that was built, only 74 Levites decided to go home. And only four out of the 24 courses of Abiah and other courses that were given in the Bible were represented. They didn't have a full house. They didn't have everything that God wanted. But they made up their mind, we're going home. We're going home. Now, 42,360 plus 7,000 slaves plus 200 singers is somewhere around 50,000 people. That's a pretty good little bunch of folks crossing out through the desert. It took them about four months to get home. I'm sure the night campfire talks were all about, boy, what we're going to do when we get home, how we're going to rebuild. Boy, rah, rah, rah. I wonder what they felt when they crossed that last little rise and stood there looking down on the broken remains of the city of Jerusalem. And they looked and they said, oh, we never knew it would be this bad. And among them were old men who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple and their hearts broke and they began to weep as they noticed how bad the destruction truly was. And among them were young men that had never seen the glory of Solomon's temple that had an attitude that said, never mind, we'll build again. And I don't know how it started, but somewhere somebody reached down and picked up the very first stone and said, we're going to clear off this site and we're going to build a temple and we're going to build a house of God. We're going to erect a temple for the glory of God. And they began to work to rebuild that temple. My Bible says when they started building that temple, that there were two sounds that echoed out of the midst of those people. There were some that were singing so loud with excitement. We've been waiting for years to have this opportunity. And they praised God because of the opportunity to build their temple. And right alongside them were not notes of praise, but notes of pathos of old men that said, yes, we're going to rebuild, but it will never be what it once was. Don't you understand? It can never be what we used to have. And I came to preach to somebody tonight. Why don't you quit looking at what you used to have? And why don't you make up your mind? God, I'm going to build something for you. One of the great tragedies of life is when a person lives continually with what I used to have. One of the great tragedies and the the hindrances to going forward in God is all you can do is look back and say, yeah, but what I have now, that you, and you apologize to all your friends and, and you excuse away your, your, your limited successes by saying, yeah, but you, you ought to see what we used to have. And the writers of the Psalms wrote songs about it. And the correlators said, we got to get them together. And they started scraping these songs together that were written when they rebuilt the foundation of the temple. 
Psalm 107, 108, 109, 110, all the way through 119 are the songs that were sung while they worked in the hot burning sun rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah, Ezra, 42,360, 7,000 slaves, 200 trained singers standing on the side singing with all their might as men and women bent over and picked up stones and cleared off a spot and built an altar first. The very first thing they did was they built an altar and it was a start. And then the walls began to come up. 78 years later, here comes Ezra and then here comes Nehemiah. The walls are rebuilt and they didn't have everything that they needed. Do you know that of the royal bloodline that the Zerubbabel was the only member of the royal family of David that went back? There's not another royal family member. Do you understand that they had such limited opportunities, but they didn't sit back and say, well, I don't have what First Pentecostal Church has, so I'm just not going to do anything. Where would Joel Holmes be today without a dream? Where would he be if he didn't have a vision? We're sitting in this beautiful auditorium tonight that is not only second to, to none in the apostolic world, it's second to none to anybody. I'm going to tell you, go to any building you want to go to. This is a beautiful, beautiful, remarkable testimony to the glory of God and the power of a vision of a man of God and the power of people that will get with the man of God and sacrifice and work and labor. Where would you be tonight if he would have bought into it and said, well, our church burned down I'm afraid to build another one we might burn it down too but he had something in his heart that said that's all right we're gonna build something for God Psalm 107 the song that they chose to introduce the fifth book of the Psalms that correlates with the book of Deuteronomy is the psalm that says four times in verse 8, 15, 21, and 31, it's the one that says four times, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. They refused to look back over their 70-year captivity. They refused to look up the ones that didn't choose to come with them. They refused to say, we only got 74 members of the priesthood. They refused to say, we only got four out of 24 courses of the priesthood. They said, we're going to build a temple. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to praise the Lord while we build it. I want you to stand with me. Four times, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Some were weeping, saying, how can you sing that when this house will never compare to what we once had? Others were singing and saying, but look, we have nothing. We can still have a temple for the glory I'm preaching to you tonight, what song is coming out of your life? Are you singing that little song that says, I'm discouraged because I know I will never have what I once had. It will cripple you. It will keep you from being what God wants you to be. The song that comes out of your wine press needs to be the song that says, 
Oh Lord, how Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. The song that says, when I consider the sun and the moon and the stars and the work of his hands, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That word man, I don't want to get into all of it, but that word man there was referring to Goliath. He said, yeah, he's a big guy, Lord, but what's he compared to you? What song comes out of your wine press? I was thinking about various people today in my room as I was contemplating this service. Different ones that had been through difficult times. And I hope I'm not doing the wrong thing. I certainly don't want to embarrass anybody, but I was thinking about a very dear lady that's here tonight. Her name is Sister Tool. I remember when, when I got the call that her husband, Brother Tool, had an incurable disease. I remember when I got the call Brother Tool had passed away. I remember getting on the plane, flying to Portland. I remember sitting on the platform that day as the service went by and, and Sister Tool just, just bore up under all of it. Now here we are these many years later and I have never heard her sing a song of bitterness. I know that she has learned a song of brokenness. I know that she misses her husband. It would be easy for her to look and say, just think what Brother Tool and I could have done all these years. Look at, look at what could have been accomplished all these years if God would have spared his life. But what good would it do to live in that kind of a moment? What good would it do to look back and say what could have been? How much better to say, God, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're kind of a straddle two things here tonight. We're kind of ending new song and starting camp meeting. And this is what I felt for this service. I feel that there are people in this service tonight that are in the wine press of God. God is breaking you and smashing you and pulverizing you. You haven't understood why and you've looked at others and said, why, Lord? And I believe that God wants to minister to you at the close of this service tonight. He wants a new song to be born in your spirit. Not a song of bitterness, but a song of brokenness. That once you get through Cush, once you get through the brokenness, once that Shigion comes out of your spirit and you get determination like you've never had it before in all of your life, then you'll be singing the song of the death of the giant. That, oh yes, God, I killed some champions in my life as well. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Are there any tonight that would like to come and kneel in the presence of the Lord? Other musicians can come and prepare a song if you would. Is there anyone that would like to come and kneel in the presence of God tonight? Step out. The Lord is calling you right now. Come on. Come quickly. Come quickly. Don't look around as many as can get here. I know it's crowded. There's not a lot of room. But come on up here tonight. What song is coming out of your life? What song is the world hearing you sing? When you get in the wine press of God. Those of you that are not coming, would you lift your hands and begin to pray for those that are here tonight? Would you begin to pray for those that do come and that do kneel around the front in the presence of the Lord? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Song of the wine press. Song of the wine press. What's coming out of your life right now? What's coming out of your life right now? Kneel in the presence of the Lord. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. I will. I will praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I will give God my best.
over and join with someone. Oh, yes, God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, why don't you help someone with prayer tonight? In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. We believe you, God. together. Oh. <laughs> That's the way. Make an altar where you're at. Make an altar where you're at to God. Oh, God, I want to live for you. Uh, I'm not going to sing the wrong song, but I want to sing the song of victory and faith. Oh, yes, I am. I'm not going to doubt God.
out to the Lord. Service in the morning at 1030. Brother White will be preaching to us the word of the Lord. 1030 in the morning. 1030 service. Amen, Brother White. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, man. 